Hello and welcome back to Global Value. In today's video, we're going to be performing a fundamental stock analysis of JP Morgan Chase & Co, ticker symbol JPM. JP Morgan Chase is one of the largest banks and financial institutions in the world. We're looking at it today because it has a reputation not only of being a great bank that also has some other businesses attached to it. Its CEO is also very well known in the banking industry as being one of the world's best bankers, Jamie Dimon. His annual reports are quite good. He's got a lot to say about businesses and the overall American economy in a given year. We're looking at JP Morgan Chase today because their stock is near its 52-week low. So anytime we're able to see a business that is potentially one of the top in its class that's near its 52-week low, that should automatically kind of pique your interest. JP Morgan Chase is a former holding in the Berkshire Hathaway stock portfolio. Warren Buffett through Berkshire bought into the business in 2019. However, they sold in 2020 after the pandemic, not specifically because of the business. Warren Buffett just stated that he wanted less exposure to the overall financial sector, and he ended up choosing to stay invested in Bank of America instead. His move away from JP Morgan was more opportunity cost and reducing that risk. And so while JP Morgan Chase is not in Berkshire Hathaway's portfolio right now, it was at one time. So at the time of recording this video, JP Morgan Chase is trading for just over $117 per share. Similar to their banking peers, they're down year to date. JP Morgan Chase is down 26%. Going back one year, they're down 22%. However, going back three years, even including the pandemic, they're actually up about 2% compounded annually. Keep in mind that these returns are not including the dividend that JP Morgan Chase has paid out. Currently, they have a 3.2% dividend yield which is well above the S&P 500. Going back 10 years, they've been a solid performer, returning about 13% compounded annually. And if we look all the way back to 2005, even despite the global financial crisis, JP Morgan Chase has been able to compound at a rate of 7% annually. Again, you'll also want to add in their dividend payments to get their total return. But they've done pretty well, all things considered. As mentioned, one of the reasons we're looking at JP Morgan Chase today is because they're near their 52-week low. They're down about $60 from their 52-week high. JP Morgan Chase is one of the world's largest banks and financial institutions. They have about a $345 billion market cap. So for some farther background about the business, JP Morgan Chase is one of the largest and most complex financial institutions in the United States with nearly $4 trillion in assets. It is organized into four major segments, consumer and community banking, corporate and investment banking, commercial banking, and asset and wealth management. JP Morgan operates and is subject to regulation in many countries. So the business has four main segments. Among those, they have many different product lines. JP Morgan Chase & Co. was founded in 1799 and is headquartered in New York, New York. So with that intro of why we're looking at JP Morgan Chase, how its stock has performed, and what the business actually does, let's get into our fundamental analysis. So we'll be performing a 10 towers analysis, which is a modified and expanded version of the eight pillar analysis originally popularized by Everything Money, specifically geared to look at banks. In my own research into banks, I wasn't able to find any sort of holistic beginning framework that would allow me to look into the fundamentals of a bank. So using inspiration from the eight pillars and after a lot of research into key banking metrics, I was able to craft my own. This analysis is just a starting point. This is about learning in public. 
I'm by no means a banking expert. However, there are a lot of value investors, including Warren Buffett, who have done extremely well by investing in banks over the years. So it's a sector that's worth looking at. And ultimately, that's why I'm introducing the 10 Towers framework. So let's get right into it. Starting off with tower number one, we want JP Morgan Chase's average five-year PE to be below 12 and a half. This 12 and a half earnings multiple is going to be more in line with the banking industry's historical averages. So right now, JP Morgan Chase is trading for just under nine times earnings. During March of 2020, they actually dipped to about seven and a half times earnings. However, over this period, they've traded at just under 13 times earnings. So historically, just a smidge above our first tower. So this one's going to be an X to start off. Pillar number two, we're looking for an average five-year return on equity to be above 9%. JP Morgan Chase has been able to deliver a return on equity in these low double digits. Even during 2020, they still produced about 11% return on equity. A hallmark of a great bank is that it's able to produce respectable returns on equities even during rough financial times. So that's a great sign to see here. Overall, their average return on equity is in the low double digits. So that's our first check on tower number two. Tower number three, we're looking for five-year revenue growth. JP Morgan Chase has been able to grow revenues from about $95 billion in 2017 to $131 billion in 2021. So that's another check on tower number three. Tower number four, we're looking for five-year net income growth. JP Morgan Chase has doubled their net income over this time period from about $24 billion in 2017 to $48 billion in 2021. Earnings are ultimately the key to valuing banks. Here we also want to see what their average five-year net income was. So in an average year over the past five years, JP Morgan Chase produces about $34 billion of net income. We'll be using that number later on when we evaluate how the business's current market cap compares to its earnings power. So we'll hang on to that and store it in the bank for now. Next up, tower number five, we're looking for decreasing shares outstanding. When you purchase a share of stock in a business, what you're really buying is a fractional ownership percentage in the underlying business. So when a company buys back shares and decreases the number of shares outstanding, they're increasing your ownership of the business ultimately increasing the percentage of the business's profits that you're entitled to. The opposite of this, shareholder dilution, which happens when a company issues new shares, can be a silent killer for investors. Thankfully, J.P. Morgan Chase has reduced their number of shares outstanding from about $3.5 billion in 2017 to just about $3 billion in 2021. So they bought back a good amount of their shares. That's another check on tower number five. Tower number six, we're looking for five-year deposit growth. Deposits are the money that a bank takes in, which they are able to turn around and lend out. Banks ultimately earn money on the spread of the interest that they pay on deposits versus the interest that they're able to take in on loans. Having a high and sticky deposit base is really key for a bank. JP Morgan has grown their deposits from about $1.4 trillion in 2017 to more than $2.4 trillion in 2021. So that's another big check on tower number six. Getting two checks in combination on towers five and six is a really good sign. That means that JP Morgan Chase has grown their deposits per share at a very attractive rate over the past five years. So that is a very good sign. And that's one of those key metrics to be looking out for to tell you the overall strength of a bank. Next up, tower number seven, we want their interest on deposits divided by their total deposits to be stable or decreasing. 
Banks are ultimately going to be a commodity type business with money being more or less the ultimate commodity. Unless the bank has some sort of special structural advantage. This gives us a pretty good overview of the fact that JP Morgan Chase is really not paying out a lot of interest on their deposits at all relative to their total deposit base. In fact, their deposits have increased over this time period while their interest expense has gone down. Banks are subjected to the Federal Reserve federal funds rate. These interest expenses are more or less dependent on those rates. This tower is useful in comparing how a bank stands compared to its peers. As ultimately in a commodity business, these large banks want to be the low cost producer and have the greatest spread that they can between the interest that they're paying on deposits versus the actual money that's coming in from loans, even after accounting for the percentage of loans that are going to go south. This is a great sign that deposits are up and interest is down. That's a check on tower number seven. Tower number eight, we want their non-interest expense divided by their total deposits to be stable or decreasing. This tower is referred to as the efficiency rating for a bank. It's looking at how efficient a bank's operations are relative to their ability to take in deposits. Ultimately, a bank wants to operate as efficiently as it can relative to its deposit base. So both total deposits and their non-interest expense are up. However, doing the math here, in 2017, their non-interest expenses were 4.1% of their total deposits, and that percentage has decreased. In 2021, that went down to 2.8%. So that's another check on tower number eight. So far through eight towers, we have seven checks. Tower number nine, we want their institutional deposits as a percentage of their total deposits to be stable or decreasing. Ideally, we want this to be as close to zero as possible. They've increased both their institutional deposits and their total deposits. 4% of their total deposits were institutional deposits in 2017, and that percentage has come down just slightly to 3.8%. It might not be as close to 100 as some of its peers, but this is still going to be a check on tower number nine. Tower number 10, the big tower of them all, we want their market cap to be below their average five-year net income multiplied by 10 to give us a starting point as to a reasonable valuation of the business. Currently, JP Morgan Chase has about a $345 billion market cap. When we multiply their average five-year net income of $34 billion times 10, that brings us to $341 billion. So just slightly off compared to their market cap, Based on this metric, it looks like JP Morgan Chase is about fairly valued right now. You don't want to take any one tower in isolation. You want to look at this analysis as a holistic and beginning understanding to get a fundamental sense of the business's financials. This is a starting point that lets you know if it's worth your while to do more research or not. It is not any sort of financial recommendation and it is not financial advice. So overall, JP Morgan Chase checks the box on eight out of 10 towers. One of the final elements of JP Morgan Chase that we're going to look at is its dividend profile. Investors make mistakes all the time by blindly chasing dividend yield. Banking businesses typically pay out higher dividends relative to the overall market. When you look at the dividend profile of any business, you want to make sure that its dividend is safe, healthy, and supported. JP Morgan Chase has grown their dividends in each of the past five years, and they've earned more than enough to be able to safely and comfortably pay out this dividend. Their payout ratio was its highest in 2020, and that was only about 43.5%. Ideally, we're looking for a payout ratio that's below 60% to make sure that that dividend is healthy, and JP Morgan Chase has not come close to that number. They've got plenty of room to spare here, and so their dividend looks like it's in good shape. 
Keep in mind that banks do go through business cycles, so this could change in the future. But based on the picture right now, it looks pretty healthy. Lastly, some investors get tripped up when looking at a bank's book value, and they get tripped up when looking at this return on asset number. Warren Buffett's major point here is that book value isn't the key to valuing banks. Earnings are the key to valuing banks. And that's what our 10 Towers analysis has demonstrated overall. So with that said, JP Morgan Chase checks the box on eight out of 10 towers. It looks like a strong business that has a veteran and experienced banker at the helm in Jamie Diamond. The business has been able to earn stable and growing returns on equity. It's increased its revenue and net incomes. Their deposits per share have also increased as both their deposits have gone up and their shares outstanding have decreased. JP Morgan has increased their efficiency rating and they've slightly reduced the amount of their total deposit base that's coming from institutional deposits. Lastly, based on these beginning valuation metrics, the business looks about fairly valued right now. That's it for today's fundamental banking analysis of JP Morgan Chase & Co, ticker symbol JPM. If you enjoyed the video, please be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel for more stock analysis videos, and comment down below what business you want me to take a look at next time, bank or otherwise. Thanks for learning about JP Morgan Chase with me and have a great day.